From the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and Sirius XM, this is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. The conversation you're about to hear was originally recorded on the Work and Life radio show on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by Wharton. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. My guest in this episode is Jeff Pfeffer, who is the Thomas D. D. II Professor of Organizational Behavior at the Stanford Graduate School of Business, where he has been on the faculty since 1979. Jeff Pfeffer was already a legend in my field of organizational behavior when I was in graduate school way back in the early 80s. He's the author or co-author of 14 books on topics including power in organizations, managing people, evidence-based management, and he's the author of more than 150 articles and book chapters. Professor Pfeffer has won numerous awards, probably every award you can possibly win, for his scholarly research. And so I was thrilled to have him on the radio show. In this episode, we talk about his most recent book, Leadership BS, Fixing Workplaces and Careers, One Truth at a Time, and what changes are needed in the leadership industry, as he calls it. We talk about the many ways in which we as a society are complicit in selecting, promoting, and lauding leaders who are in it for themselves. These leaders aren't promoting the greater good of their organizations, let alone our society. And now, one of the truly great scholars in the study of organizational life, Jeff Pfeffer. Jeff, welcome to Work and Life. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you, Stu. I've known you. I was telling the person who was getting me on the line that I've known you probably longer than she's been alive, and it is just a, That's a true. privilege to be talking to you this evening. Oh, my also gosh. a privilege to have been a signatory, as you know I was, yes. on the petition signed by many academics in favor of paid family leave. I think your work on the work family issue has just been outstanding and is so important to make workplaces work for everybody. Okay, I think we're done, people. That's that's a wrap for this show. Yeah, that's all I think we need to be saying here tonight. Now, Jeff, thank you so much. That's really, really very gracious of you and means a lot. Uh, you've been casting a keen, critical, evidence-based eye on, on organizations for so long, and uh, particularly on, on their leaders. And I'm curious first uh, to know what inspired you to write Leadership BS? What are you seeing uh, that's emerged that you just couldn't ignore, that you had to devote your, your attention to this question? It's a great question because I had not really ever intended to write this book or this kind of book, but the amount right. of hypocrisy that just to go, exists and the, and the cynicism mm. that that hypocrisy spawns uh, was just, is, is just striking. So you see these leaders that come to Stanford, I'm sure they come to Wharton, they tell wonderful stories uh, about themselves and about how they would like to be seen and, and presented, which bear almost no resemblance to the realities of how they lead and how they conduct themselves. Mm. And, that and everybody knows that, right? Hmm? 
And everybody knows that, right? And but, everybody knows that, but, you know, it's just, it provoked an enormous amount of hypocrisy and cynicism. And mm-hmm. as, as I began to think about this, it occurred to me that we have had, I don't know, decades, maybe five or six or seven decades of this leadership industry talking about aspirational views of how leaders ought to be, and I agree that leaders probably ought to be this way, they ought to be modest, they ought to be authentic, they ought to tell the truth, they ought to do many things, but of course, when you look at real leader behavior, they were pretty, there's pretty much the opposite, and when you look at the condition of workplaces, not only in the U.S., but around the world, they're in pretty dire shape, and so it occurred to me that the leadership industry had not only failed to make things better, but that it's by telling these stories that bore no resemblance to reality and having this kind of aspect aspirational, feel-good quality to it, it was not doing anything to cause anybody to get off their butts and try to do anything to make the world of work better. And so Mm -hmm. it occurred to me that if anything was ever going to be better, somebody had to look at what was going on and, and, and tell the truth about it. And you draw the very useful analogy to medicine 100 years ago. Uh, so explain how you came up with that idea and how it helps you and, and really us to understand the argument that you're making. Well, that's um, so. You know, we we've known actually for hundreds of years that uh, that uh, hygienic practices are important in preventing hospital acquired acquired or iatrogenic illnesses. And so, you know, we've we've done the studies uh, that have shown that hand washing is is good for you know is good for preventing illness. And but but nonetheless. We do. The, the medical industry has done something that the leadership industry has never done, which mm-hmm. is to say, okay, we know that hand washing is a good thing, but let's look and see how many doctors really wash their hands. And when we find that many of them don't, as opposed to having more kind of stories or having more, I don't know, you know, uh, admonitions or inspirational talks, to say what are the interventions that we might do that would cause doctors to do some of the things we think they ought to do, such as engage in better mm-hmm. uh, hand-washing and other hygienic reg- regimes. So the, de- so the leadership industry does not measure base rates at all, mm-hmm. the frequency with which all these desirable leadership behaviors are occurring. And because it never be- measures the base rates, it can never evaluate any interventions uh, to whether or not those interventions are making things better or worse. So, so if you do that, if you if you fail to do that, uh, nothing is ever going to get better because you don't know where you're starting from. You don't know the success of what you're trying to do to improve. Uh, so... Uh, Jeff, are you still there? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, good, because there was a little break there. Um, so to measure base rates, what would that, what would that require? What would we have to do to, to establish well, that? Well, it would so require, first of all, doing something that the leadership industry has also mostly not done, which is to define, uh, to define the constructs um, uh, more, more precisely. Uh, a chaired professor at Duke University, somebody who you probably know, Sim Sitkin, has written a very nice review on what's wrong with charismatic leadership. And one mm-hmm. of the problems with charismatic leadership is that the construct is defined in a way that makes it almost unmeasurable right. um, and tautological and similarly for authentic leadership. But, but so assuming you could define precisely what you mean by modesty, by servant leadership, or taking care of others, by authenticity, and so on, the first thing you would do is measure the frequency of such characteristics in the population of leaders. And if you found 
which would be my guess, that they're relatively rare, particularly among senior leaders. Then mm-hmm. you, you need to ask the question, why? Why are, why are desirable qualities, the research has shown, do lead uh, to healthier and more productive workplaces? Why are they so rare among leaders? And what might we do to increase their frequency? So uh, employee engagement and trust is low in, in the world today uh, in, in, our, in our business society, as you point out. Uh, you know, aside, taking aside you know, the, the impact that uh, improved leadership performance might have on that, what else do you see as um, causing the, the, the problem of disengagement and low trust? Well, I think leader behavior is one source, and, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, leaders, you know, I was participated once on a panel of restoring trust and leadership with uh, Mr. Edelman, the head of Edelman, who does the Edelman Trust Index, the public relations firm, and uh-huh. I said, if you want to restore trust, you might do that by stop lying to people, um, you know, I mean, which has, of course, gone on. I think that's one thing that mm-hmm. has led to low engagement. I think the other thing that has led to low engagement is that companies increasingly and this has been this is a trend that's been going on, I think, for uh, quite a while. Increasingly, see their employees as not as strategic assets, but as costs, and mm-hmm. as costs to be minimized. So you have uh, fewer employees being employed full time. The mm-hmm. percentage of people in the gig, so-called gig economy, is higher. Uh, of the employees being employed, fewer of them now have, I just saw an article about this the other day, pension plans, not mm-hmm. only defined pe- benefit plans, but even defined contribution plans. Fewer employees are getting health insurance through their employer than ever. So companies have cut wages, they've cut benefits, they've laid people off repeatedly over the years. And all of this would lead to, by the way, not just lower employee engagement, but to adverse health consequences for employees who face enormous levels of economic insecurity and mm-hmm. difficulties in accessing health care. So do you, do you see this uh, sort of uh, fraying of the, of the relationship between labor and management is something that is increasing uh, with the rise of the gig economy? And, and where does leadership play a role in trying to uh, to 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 strengthen the uh, the connection uh, that 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 employees do have or can have to their to their to their um, organizations and and to their own personal health and their families and their communities. Well, the the the, the relationships are certainly fraying, as your colleague and a good friend of mine, Peter Capelli, mm-hmm. has written about. Even now, a book going back probably fifteen or sixteen years called The New Deal at Work, and in, and in subsequent research. I mean, there's a lot of data that suggests that job tenures are going down and that the percentage of part-time and uh, contract labor has gone up, etc. And then, as I've already alluded to, the benefits are, are going down. So there is certainly a lot of fraying of the, of, of the relationship. And, uh, and the, you know, leader, and, and these are, as, again, research done by many of your Wharton colleagues in the human resource management fun- area mm-hmm. have demonstrated, uh, and as Tom Koken at MIT has demonstrated, these are strategic choices made by companies. You do not have to um, outsource, downsize, pay people nothing in order to be successful. 
Wayne Cassio has done the study comparing uh, Sam's Club to Costco uh-huh. and finds that Costco, of course, is more profitable, even though it pays more and offers more benefits. Uh, the so-called high-road approach to dealing with your workforce has been written about by Tom Koken and Paul Osterman and by a variety of people over the years. So this is a strategic choice that leaders have made as a way of uh, – and, and it is a choice, I think, that, that has been – motivated in part by the idea that uh, the, the, the people are dispensable. It's, mm. it's interesting to me that we are very concerned with environmental pollution, and companies now report their uh, you know, uh, environmental bona fides, uh, mm-hmm. how, many, how much carbon they emit in the atmosphere, how much recycling they do, and so on and so forth. Well, they have their and boards I, after them to do that, yes, so there's I a lot know. of pressure. And I, and I keep pointing out to people that in addition to environmental pollution, we ought to be concerned about social pollution. Here, here. Of, what, how would you do that? Uh, you know, I would do So it turns out that there is a single-item measure of uh, self-reported health, S-R-H, self-reported health. A single-item measure of self-reported health that basically asks people on a scale of 1 to 10 how good they feel from, you know, feeling horribly Mm -hmm. to feeling very good, that prospectively predicts mortality and morbidity, and it does so almost as well as physiological measures such as um, body mass index and so on and so forth. So that's easy to acquire. hmm? That's easy to acquire, that information. It's very easy to acquire. So I think part of this is we need to have companies measure uh, the health status of their employees. And secondly, just as we now hold companies responsible for their environmental impacts, I think we ought to hold companies responsible for their impacts on the well-being and welfare of their workforce. I mean, Gallup, as you know, Gallup has partnered yeah. with Healthways, mm-hmm. and they knew the, and they do their well-being index and have measured how that varies across geographies and so on and so forth. And that's also very interesting data for us and, and another way of measuring this. But we ought to be concerned about human well-being, as I know you are, given the center that you're involved in. Well, uh, and, and so I'd like to try to bring this back to what you have uh, composed here in critiquing the leadership industry. Where is the, there's, there seems to be a missing link here between you know, what we are aspiring to produce in our leaders, which is uh, you know, people who can take us to a better place, uh, and and what we're actually producing, um, and in, and and not really emphasizing enough what uh, what's required to uh, to create a leadership cadre, if you will, of people who are dedicated not just to economic outcomes but to to human uh, and social outcomes as well. Well, that's exactly right. And one of the conundrums, which is a conundrum that, to tell you the truth, I have highlighted in this book, Leadership BS, but which I have not been able to solve, Uh. is the following dilemma. The qualities that we claim we want in leaders, this modesty, authenticity, telling the truth, taking care of others, etc., are precisely the opposite of the qualities that actually make people successful. And by successful, I mean we know that narcissism, which I would argue is the opposite of immodesty, um, narcissism mm-hmm. is rely- has been reliably shown to be predictive of getting chosen for leadership roles, um, maintaining those roles, getting higher salaries, being more successful. And some of the most successful um, the, the leaders are 
for narcissists. Michael McAvee wrote this wonderful book yes. called The Productive Narcissist, mm-hmm. which talks about that. Mm-hmm. Um, similarly, with uh, you know, similarly with, with with prevarication, similarly with many of these other qualities. So the irony is, and there's a lot of many reasons ranging from sociobiology to social psychology that explain this, but the qualities we seek, we claim that we want in leaders are exactly the opposite of the qualities we seem to be uh, selecting for and exactly the opposite of the qualities that bring people individual success. So there's individual success, which is often earned at the expense of the organization or the social system success. And that is a that is a conundrum or a dilemma that um, that I certainly don't know how ah. to get through. Oh come on, Jeff, we need the answer there. Well, one of the things I think we are all you know some years to, to interrupt myself here. So to go back some years ago when I used to write columns for Business 2.0 when Business 2.0 still existed, I wrote a column about lying, and it occurred to me in the course of doing the work for that column that a lie takes two people. Uh, the person who tells it, and then the other individual who wants to hear it. And so in many ways, we are our own worst enemy. We are complicit in many of the failures of the leadership industry. It is the consumers of the leadership Ah. industry's products Mm -hmm. that want entertainment rather than enlightenment. It is the consumers of the leadership industry and the people who are selecting leaders who say we want people, and I heard this story recently even about the vaunted General Electric, who say we want leaders who get the good results but only in the right way, but then are willing to make the trade-offs to get the good good financial results, no matter the human toll that is exacted on people. Um, So so we are, it it is us who who are complicit in the fact that you know, when the uh, Jody Cantor and David Streetfield article came out about Amazon recently, yeah. there's just been more controversy about this. Uh, one of the things I did in a fortune column that, I t- that takes off from that article is look at the overlap between the most admired leaders and the most admired companies and the best places to work list. And not surprisingly, there is almost no overlap. Only four companies are on both those lists. So we admire what does that tell leaders. Us? Who behave badly and 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 who exact huge tolls on their workforce as long as they produce great financial results, and that is something that we are all individually and collectively responsible for. Well, uh, the Bezos ranking uh, on the most recent study or you know listing of uh, you know the top 100 CEOs from uh, Harvard Business Review anyway has uh, plummeted uh, in the last couple of months. I think as a result of that uh, that expose. But your your general point remains that there is something about uh, the uh, th- those who seem to be at the pinnacle of of corporate society who uh, who somehow belie this image of uh, of the grand and moral philosopher king that we all wish to have uh, leading us to uh, a better world, and that that's painful. So 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 as consumers. What is available to us to start to, I don't know, deal more with that that reality, that gap between what we wish for and what we're actually paying for? Um, well, I think, first of all, you ought, we ought to do due diligence on leaders. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we ought to do a little investigation. We shouldn't believe, you know, if I said to you tonight, 
Uh, you know, I have the, the, discovered the cure for cancer, and I'm willing to sell it to you for $500 million, which, by the way, had I actually discovered the cure for cancer, that price would be the biggest bargain in the, the history. Uh, before That's you wrote sure. me a check for $500 million, my suspicion would be you would do a fair amount of due diligence to figure out whether or not I knew what I was doing and whether or not the cure that I had discovered actually had any positive therapeutic effects. In other words, when we make individual financial investment decisions or collective financial investment decisions, we do due diligence. But when we listen to the leadership talks and the blogs and the TED talks and the, read the books and go to these things and hear the inspirational speeches, we want to believe. It's almost like we want to believe in Santa Claus or something. And so we, and so we almost actively avert our eyes as opposed to accepting the reality that every human being in this world mm-hmm. is neither a complete saint or a complete sinner, that, 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 that we're all mixed individuals that have a combination of strengths and weaknesses and virtues and vices. And so we ought to do, we ought to be a little more clinical and do due diligence do due diligence on mm-hmm. leaders. There are sites like Glassdoor. Uh, many things are available now since every courtroom in this country is now automated. You can find case filings. You can find information. You can talk to people. And you can find out whether the stories you're hearing mm-hmm. are true or not. And while it is uncomfortable oftentimes to confront the truth, my favorite movie scene, of course, is Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise and a few good men. Yes. I do believe, I do believe <clears throat> people not only can handle the truth, but we need the truth because the only way we're going to get from where we are with this low level of employee engagement, etc., to mm-hmm. a better place is to understand the realities of the situation, why we are where we are, and, and measure our progress in improving things. And that means really seeing the person for who she is or who he is uh, as, as a flawed uh, human being who is uh, perhaps aspiring to you know to do the right thing, but has limited capacity, limited uh, ability to you know to see the world from different perspectives, and and who is going to make mistakes, and often is not acting in a self-interested way, and uh, it's revealing those stories. Certainly, when I have uh, you know guests come to class. I, I, you know, ensure that they speak as much as possible, if not solely, about, you know, the various ways in which they've screwed up, because I find that that's what students are really interested in hearing about, because they see, uh, you know, they see the gloss and they think, and they they grow cynical, Uh, but if you cut through that with uh, the real story, uh, I find that, that that helps people to to see, ah, there's a human being. I can still be successful and be flawed. Uh, so so is this, does this resonate with uh, with what you're 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 suggesting, Jeff? Absolutely, it? it absolutely resonates. I mean, the idea of having leaders talk about their flaws, the idea of having you know people you know do you know do look in uh, deeply into into what leaders are actually doing, and mm-hmm. then when you see people you know behaving in interesting and funny and 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 difficult and maybe even problematic ways, uh, to not say which I hear all the time, well, you know, this person is wealthy, it must be okay. Um, Hmm. Or this person is successful, this person is on the most admired list, they Mm -hmm. built this great company. You see this with the CEO of Uber, you see this with the Mm -hmm. CEO of... um, uh, of Amazon, you see this with many mm-hmm. um, CEOs where people will say, well, yeah, you see this now, particularly, I just read a wonderful blog which refers to my book, but also really talks about the new movie about Steve Jobs, 
yeah. by, Brooke, by Brooke Manville, who used to be a consultant for McKinsey. And he said, you know, the, the, the interesting thing about Jobs is Jobs had, of course, all these flaws and was not the nicest human being to work for. But people would say, well, you know, he did. He built the iPhone. Mm-hmm. He did this. So he was he excused. That, he built the most valuable company on the planet. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the fact that he behaved uh, in a hideously bad fashion, at least in some respects, at least according to some people, it, we, we, we're going to give him a pass on that. Mm-hmm. But we don't do that in the environmental field. I mean, I don't say, you know, well, Stu, you're running Friedman Enterprises and you're, you know, producing a great product, but by the way, you're fouling the water and the air, and we, and we, get, we, we don't give people a pass on that anymore. We say you need to produce a great product and a good price, but you also need to do it in a way that maintains the integrity of the physical environment. Mm-hmm. And I believe we ought to have the same requirements for maintaining the integrity of the social environment. I could not agree with you more. Jeff, I'm afraid we have run out of time here. Uh, there's so much more I want to ask you about, uh, but I am uh, afraid that we must conclude uh, your work on uh, taking down the leadership industry or really getting us to see it in a fresh light and what it really means for us to be growing leaders who, uh, who can make a difference in our societies is really so important, so refreshing, so provocative, and so useful. Uh, I want to thank you so much for producing it and for joining me on the show tonight. Well, thank you very much for having uh, me on the show, and thank you very, very, thank you so much for the, for the great questions and for, uh, and for all the work you're doing in your center. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with the great Professor Jeff Pfeffer, author of Leadership BS, and that you're taking away some ideas you can use to reduce the bullshit factor in the world of leadership as you know it. I'd love to hear your thinking. Tweet at Stu Friedman or just email me, friedmanoutwharton.upenn.edu. For more information about Jeff Pfeffer, just go to his Stanford Business School faculty page and check out his can't put down book. It's really useful and kind of funny uh, in a sad way. Leadership BS. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio Powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, Please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me.